Well, the budget of the Commonwealth Department of Health and Aged Care is well over $100 billion a year, and that sounds like a big responsibility. Today, I'm going to be talking to the person who holds that responsibility on Dr. Rama. You're listening to Dr. Rama with Steve Robson, bringing you the best of health, medicine and people. Well, my guest today on the Dr. Rama podcast is the Honourable Member for Hindmarsh and uh, Federal Minister for Health and Aged Care, Mark Butler MP. Welcome to Dr. Rama, Mark. Thank you, Steve. I'm very impressed by the breadth of your (laughs) multi-skilling. Now, I did about three years of my specialist training at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital in Woodville. And if I'm not mistaken, that's just in your electorate. Yes, that is is my local hospital. It's been the hospital, as you'd know, for the western suburbs of Adelaide since I think the early 1960s. Uh, So very important part of the social fabric in Adelaide's west. Yeah, it was a fantastic place for teaching and I spent spent three years there and and, uh, have such fond memories. Mark, a lot of people will see you and hear you and hear from you, but a lot of people won't understand the pathway that led you up to being the minister. So I'd really love to hear how you got into politics um, and a little bit about your path through to becoming the, the federal health minister now. Mm, it's, it was a long pathway, Steve. <laughs> uh, my um, my mum was, well, so many of us are shaped by our mothers, aren't we? My mum was very political. She, uh, she uh, was active in the Labor Party, worked for all of the, the Hawke um, campaigns in the 1980s. Uh, signed me up. I'm not sure I had any choice. Signed me up to the party very early and had me campaigning as a as a young teenager. Um, and uh, then through uni, I had the great pleasure of a, a terrific group of people at Adelaide Uni. Penny Wong was in my year at law school. Jay Weatherall, who became South Australian Premier, very close friends, and um, so people who were quite active in the Labor Party. Um, and also a lot of uh, people who, who became quite sub- significant political journalists, Annabelle Crabb, Samantha Maiden, and a number of others as well. So uh, it was, it was a, a very political start to my life. And the week after I finished university, I started work as an industrial advocate at um, a union which was then called the Miscellaneous Workers' Union, which in South Australia is essentially a health union. Uh, Julia Gillard's dad was on the interview panel. He was a <laughs> wow. he was a he was what we used to call a psych nurse, Steve, um, uh, an old school psych nurse. He was right at the end of his career, and Julia would talk about having watched her dad, who was a psychiatric nurse at the Glenside Hospital, which was one of the mm-hmm. two big psychiatric hospitals in Adelaide. And, you know, going, she and I went to the same school in Adelaide, Unley Height, different times, but she'd go to Glenside and see him after school and uh, watching his career sort of change with the nature of mental health. So, you know, in in the early part of uh, his career when she was quite young, dressed not unlike, frankly, a prison officer. Uh, (laughs) And uh, and it was very much a sort of a custodial focus more than a therapeutic Mm. focus, she would say. And, And I know talking to a lot of those old older generation of psych nurses, that that really is what it was. But watching um, his career progress in line with a very different attitude to residential psychiatric hospitals. Um, so anyway, so the, the first 15 years of my work was, was really in health, particularly in hospitals, 
in mental health, in aged care and in disabilities, as well as some other sectors like childcare, uh, until I got elected to the parliament in 2007 in the Kevin 07 election. <laughs> the big, big 07, yeah. Uh, and um, so I spent time on the back bench for a little while and then um, got the call uh, from Kevin in uh, the middle of 2009. I'd been in parliament 18 months um, and uh, invited to become the parliamentary secretary for health. Uh, so that was that was the beginning of my four years in the health portfolio under Kevin and then Julia. Uh, and I remember it well, it was the week that um, Christine Bennett delivered her Health and Hospitals Reform Commission mm. report. And there was, you'd remember, Steve, a lot a lot of activity uh, yep. happening, a lot of discussion about health reform. We had the Preventative Health Task Force at the time, a lot of work in primary care with the creation of Medicare Locals and a range of other things. And then a very sort of public attempt to land a, a new approach to health and hospitals funding with the state. So it was an exciting time to to join the health portfolio. And then after a little while, um, I, I was um, appointed as the Minister for Mental Health and Ageing, which I held for about three years under Julia. Now, you um, have been the health minister for quite a while now, and health is notorious for having a large number of, of stakeholders. How easy did you find it to, to I guess, meet all of the stakeholders or the stakeholder groups, build those relationships uh, with them. How's that been for you? Well, it's one of the things I love about the job. Um, so it's, I mean, it's hard because there's a huge number of them. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, I don't think there's a portfolio in government that has as many stakeholders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so just, you know, there are only so many hours in the day um, and, and it is hard to get around them, but, but it's an absolute pleasure. I and mean, the thing I love about this portfolio is 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 everyone in it uh, is motivated by the highest of intent. Like everyone's in there to help their fellow human being, to cure cancer, to deliver babies. Um, so it, it's such a terrific group of hundreds of thousands of people and their stakeholder representatives. I mean, they can be confronting. Um, they've got their case to advance, as I think I've said once or twice. Um, there are sharp <laughs> elbows uh, in in the health policy arena, but the thing I love about the portfolio is everyone comes to the table or to the national press club or to a media interview with the best of intentions, and that is to to improve the health of their fellow Australians. So, you know, it, it is a challenge to um, to I mean, you'd have this as as president of the AMA, Steve, and with all of your other responsibilities, including including broadcasting journalists. Now, <laughs> uh, it, it's always a challenge to arrange your time and to spread the love, if you like, and make sure that you're seeing as many people as possible. But you do actually have to find time to think, find time to read, uh, find time to sort of talk with your staff and your department as well about actually doing things um so you know i've as i as i said in my intro i've 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 been um a minister or shadow minister now for a while uh, when i came back when we came back to government to almost two years ago um having had four years as a health minister of some description in the previous government i knew the stakeholders some of the personalities had changed but you know mm-hmm. I, I, I i i had a pretty good background with a lot of the stakeholders many of them frankly i'd worked with well before i was in parliament as well so mm. um so that that helps so look, 
since you've been in government, nobody could say that you're afraid to take a bold step when it's required. And you and I have spoken about vaping um, on a number of occasions, and that's been something that's garnered absolutely international attention and, and as you know, praise from all of the the health and and, uh, public health groups around the country. What was it that convinced you to take such bold action when when it is notoriously a difficult thing to do? You know, you were in some of these discussions representing the AMA, Steve, when I pulled together some roundtables too. Um, to talk about, first of all, how we take the next steps on on traditional tobacco control. Not much had been done for 10 years and, and Nicola Roxon's plain packaging laws were about to sunset. So we had to talk about what what next to do in, in traditional tobacco control. But as you know, um, the t- tobacco control groups and the medical groups like yours were, were raising this new challenge of vaping. And it is new. I mean, it's been around for a little while, yeah. but it, it exploded over the course of mm-hmm. COVID, as you know. And and again, to speak frankly, I think you will remember in some of those early discussions that I that I was a bit tentative. I, I did want to explore, um, you know, different options for our response before you know, I took a, a a view to the rest of government, to the prime minister and others um, for us to take a decision. And some of those involve questions like, you know, can can we rationally ban vaping while not taking a prohibition approach to cigarettes? And, you know, will there be a transfer yep. from vaping to cigarettes? So I think, what well, I mean, why I feel confident about the position we arrived at is because um, stakeholders like yours, the traditional tobacco control groups, were very generous with their time to allow us to really talk through the options, to stress test them, to kick the tyres on the position we ultimately arrived at. And I feel very confident it's the right decision. I was talking to someone, I'm backing my electorate after a fortnight in um, Parliament, as I think you know, Steve, I was talking to someone just an hour or two ago from my community uh, who had just come from a swimming lesson and uh, one of the parents there uh, was beside herself. Her mother was beside herself because her grade five didn't want to go to the school camp uh, because um, he's an asthmatic and yeah. he knows all of his fellow grade fives are intending to take vapes there and he's really scared that he'll be under pressure to vape and it will it will um, cause him real harm because he's an asthmatic. And I hear these stories all the time. We think about this being a particular challenge in high schools but I hear these stories in primary schools. You know, I think you might have been in one of the, the roundtables where the Victorian government or someone running the quit line talked mm-hmm. about a 13-year-old ringing, um, asking for advice about how she resists the peer group pressure to vape that she feels under from um, all of the other 13-year-olds in her class. So um, this this we can still stamp this out. I mean, if we knew what we knew know now, and could go back in time 100 years ago, we'd, we'd, I'm sure, do what we could to stamp out cigarettes before they became as deeply entrenched in not just Australian society but but society worldwide. Uh, we can do that on vaping. It's not going to be easy. I've tried not, not to pretend that we can stop every vape from coming into the country or stop every vape from being sold, but it is out of control here. You would have seen the research from WA uh, that is national that 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 found that ninety percent of vape stores are within walking distance of a school, and that's no accident. 
That's an extraordinary study, and I think it made absolutely clear that the action that's been taken is precisely the right action. So again, we've we've stood with you on this. You know, all the public health groups in the country are right behind you on this. Look, I wanted to to change tack a little bit here. You know, obviously Australia's got quite a unique mix of public and private health care. You've had a chance to to consider all of this at the moment. How do you think that mix is going for Australians at the moment? Do you think it's working and delivering the health care that we need? Well, I think any any answer to a, a broad question about how healthcare systems are performing needs to be con- contextualised. Hmm. Um, as, as you know, every healthcare system around the world is under enormous pressure right now. Uh, I mean, ours, I mean, particularly... Western health systems are have been grappling with demographic change now for 10 or 20 years. The, the ageing of the population that we obviously knew was coming, um, the growing burden of chronic disease, complexity of that chronic disease, but then all of that being aggravated by the pressures of a four-plus-year four pandemic. Um, and so all, all, all of the elements of our healthcare system are under pressure. And, and if you look across the world... Um, as your listeners look across the world, and I know you do, uh, you see that everywhere. And in many cases, it's actually under much bigger pressure than than I think we are here in Australia. Yeah. The NHS, for example. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, there there uh, we have some real pressures in our public hospital systems. There are real pressures in private hospitals, um, particularly in some areas like uh, like psychiatric admissions. Mm. Um, and there's obvious, obvious pressure in primary care and general practice that there's been a lot of public discussion about. I, I, think one, I think one of the strengths of our system is the way in which the public and private uh, systems broadly complement each other, and that's been a long-standing position of Labor. Um, you know, after the debate of the 1940s, as Attlee was putting in place the NHS and ultimately your organisation... Um, Resisting some of the some of the work that Chifley was seeking to do, uh, you know, we arrived at that that settlement in the referendum with the prohibition against civic conscription uh, that was sort of a bit underwritten by Menzies, by the BMA then or the AMA now, and by the Labor government. Meant that we we're always going to have a mix of private and and public, and I think broadly that that serves us well. When I look at um, the UK and the US, I think. I think the two systems yeah. interact better here than than in most other places. Um, you know, you're obviously closer to it than me, but that's certainly my view. Uh, there are, though, a range of aspects of that interaction that I think require a, a refresh. Um, you know, the AMA is very active in in uh, its advocacy about different ways to regulate private health insurance. I think that's a terrific contribution to public debate. You know that. Um, I've inherited a range of reviews that Greg Hunt initiated to essentially the, the the private health insurance reforms that Howard put in place 24 years ago. That's timely. Been a lot of change since then, and we're going to have to respond to to those. Um, I think some of the the sort of red lines between um, the Medicare system and the private system serve as well. Um, you know, so private health insurance is able to underwrite work in some areas but but not in traditional areas that you do want 
uh, underwritten by a universal health insurance system like Medicare. That sound, I don't see, a, I don't see a change foreseeably to that. Um, but but uh, look, there are pressures on all elements of our system uh, right now that that we're going to be working through for for um, a considerable period. Yet this pandemic is going to have a long tail, whether it's about um, you know the the consequences of deferred care, increased acuity, all of the missed cancer screens, all of those sorts of things uh, in terms of of demand, but also on the supply side, the workforce the workforce pressures that you know some of which were there before COVID, but again were aggravated by COVID means all elements of the system are going to be under pressure for a while. Mark, one of the things that is very close to my heart, as uh, and I'm uh, one of the chairs of our task force on Indigenous health is closing the gap on health for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Australians. I know it's important to you. Have you had any thoughts on ways um, that you'd like to see further work done on for, for our First Nations Australians and, and their health? Well, the first thing to say, as you know, Steve, is that the, um, the latest Closing the Gap report and implementation plan were tabled in Parliament uh, earlier this week on the anniversary of, of the national apology to stolen generations and shows that you know we're still well off track and in some areas actually going backwards, particularly in early childhood, which I know would be of particular interest to you. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and and you know I've I've been in every one of those reports because I was there I was there at the apology as a very new member and um, they are always confronting and always you know a slightly depressing occasions um one of the things i would like to see us work more on and we're trying to do this in the commonwealth is is um uh the transition of more responsibility to community control i mean i think one of the great yep. uh shining jewels of the australian health system uh and and i think probably the shining jewel in indigenous affairs is the aboriginal community controlled health sector um, overseen yep. by Nacho. I think it is a terrific model of primary yep. care, uh, works in very challenging circumstances, particularly outside of our cities and some of the most remote parts of Australia. And, and in those circumstances does a terrific job. And I think there are, there are, um, there are opportunities to build that capability uh, that haven't really been um, grasped over recent years. I've got my department, I've been quite public about this, I've got my department going through effectively an audit of all of the programs that that um, that seek that, that are that are directed at indigenous health uh, to ask the question if they're not being delivered by indigenous uh, community controlled organizations why not and and is there a transition plan for those um, one example is the puggy hunter nurses scholarship program building the indigenous nurse workforce of the future that should be delivered by an indigenous organization i mean it's named after the first the inaugural chair of of nacho um yep. so building capability i think is an important thing but there are still huge gaps in um in uh, uh in treatment as well i mean rheumatic heart disease i think got uh, a really heartening not the right word a really yep. sort of gratifying amount of public attention last last yeah. year compared to really a, not much community discussion at all probably for decades since it was largely eradicated from our major cities so 
uh, there is there is more, more we can do in communities to deal with rheumatic heart disease when it emerges, but we should really be trying to get to the root cause of it, you know, which is ultimately, as you know, an environmental health sanitation question. How do we how do we get upstream for some of these things? Absolutely. Now, look, you and I both are going to be out of these roles at at some stage. It's inevitable. So, I'm going to ask you when you move on for whatever reason from the role you're doing at the moment, what would you like your legacy to be from your time as the Federal Health Minister? Oh, it, it, look, I, I, I hesitate to pick, to pick um, a couple out, but uh, I, really, I really do want us to get uh, on top of vaping as a country um, mm-hmm. because, I, don't, uh, because I'm, I fear that if we don't over the next year or two, it's going to be very, very difficult to um, turn things around. Uh, so I, I would, I would like to see that as a legacy, not particularly of mine, but of these times, because um, yep. I think there is a, there is a very broad consensus um, behind action, and it's not just the public health groups who really did the hard work coming up with the plan, but it's, as I said, parent groups are utterly beside themselves. They, they don't understand how this happened. Uh, and they're quite angry that it was allowed to happen and they, they expect action. So that, I think, is really important. Um, as you know, we, we celebrated the 40th anniversary of Medicare yeah. uh, this, this month. And for a Labor person particularly, that is, that is a very proud legacy for us. It really was um, up until the 90s, probably for the best part of quarter of a century, the defining fault line really in national politics, um, really from the time Goff uh, adopted it as, as, as a central part of his uh, 1969 platform, really right into the middle of the 1990s. It was in contest, as you know. Yeah, um, I, I know. Probably, <laughs> yeah, but probably the major difference between the two major parties. Uh, and so... Um, Establishing those deep roots for uh, what I think is now Australia's most important social program and one deeply cherished by the Australian people is a, is a something we're very proud of as a Labor Party, uh, and I think the current generation, which includes me, um, feel a responsibility to make sure that it's fit for purpose and 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 secure for the future. And I think that's that's uh, something I, it's a responsibility I feel very deeply. I know. Um, I know uh, stakeholders right through the health system do as well. Uh, you know, needed that financial injection we provided in last year's budget, but also needs a substantial period of reform, steady, not not overnight, steady reform that sees a system that was very very much built for the patient need of the 1980s um, reshaped to fit the patient need of the 2020s and the 2030s, which, as you know far better than me, Steve, is yeah. Yeah. Is, is quite a different need, um, you know, much more complex chronic disease needing more sort of wraparound multidisciplinary care than the sort of episodic care that tended to characterise the work of, you know, particularly general practice in the 80s. Look, Mark, it's always a pleasure talking to you. I, I'm very uh, grateful you've given up the time because I can only imagine how full your diary is. But it's been great, uh, great speaking to you on on Dr. Rama. So I hope you managed to get the weekend off. My great pleasure, Steve. See you soon. <laughs> pleasure. Thanks very much.
You've been listening to Dr. Rama, a podcast produced on Ngunnawal country by the Australian Medical Association. All rights reserved.